0: You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I was very emotional this past Sunday morning because I was going out to Boulder, Colorado for the first time to a conference of rabbis who were ordained by Rabbi Zalmashakir Shalom, the Shalom, peace be upon him. My dear Rebbe who began the movement for renewal, whose life spanned years in pre-war Vienna and through intern camps, internment camps, and all the way to the founding of the vibrant renewal communities around the world. And this was to be the first gathering of his students, his disciples, without him in the physical form. And so early on Sunday morning, uh, as I boarded the plane with our musical director, Basi Schachter, and took my seat, I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be um, either watching football, <laughs> listening to music, or preparing myself spiritually to be able to be there with everyone. But as fate would have it, I sat, someone sat next to me. And from the moment that he sat next to me, he was fidgeting nervously and looking over his shoulder to his wife, who was seated next to Basia. And something in me said, I'm not talking to this guy. <laughs> but about 45 minutes or an hour into this flight, my heart was so troubled by his discomfort, and I, I guess I do that thing I did that thing that, I guess is unconscionable for those who, who fly well in this way. I turned to him and said, "What's your name?" <laughs> what a sweet Neshama. What a sweet soul. Someone who had been through a very, very difficult life. He was traveling with his wife to Colorado on business, and he began to tell me the story of his life, of his pain, of his suffering. And I had two little packs of Kleenex, you know, the ones that, that you carry with you in your pocket. And about an hour later, he'd already used one of them. And then the woman sitting next to him, who had also been a little bit grumpy because... I, I turned to her and I said to her, um, What's your name? (laughs) And she said, you know, I'm a little bit grumpy because I just lost my 33-year-old nephew. And it came out of nowhere, and I'm angry, and I'm sad. And so thank God I had two packs of tissues, you know. (laughs) So much in a name. So much in asking someone what their name is. So much in opening that doorway to them, saying, what's your name? The music, the melody that we use for the chadodi tonight, from the famous Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, has the song itself has a very well-known line. Maybe you, most of you probably know it, but if you don't, it goes like this. You say, I took the name in vain. I don't even know the name. And if I did, well, really, what's it to you? So what is it, to you? says Leonard Cope. What is it about the name? And I have a moment to reflect now this Shabbat on the name. What's the fuss about God's name? What's the fuss about blaspheming God's name? When I was growing up, as an Orthodox young man, it was customary for us not to even say the Adonai, which is the replacement of Yahweh. We wouldn't say Yahweh either. We'd say Adonai, but you weren't allowed to say Adonai unless you were saying a blessing. So Orthodox kids would grow up saying, instead of Adonai, you say Hashem. And if you're going to say another one of God's names, let's say Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, you would say Elohim. And if you would say El, E-L, which is another God name, you would say instead kale, which by the way the name zealots in every community I know have always had at least one name zealot that when you asked them to please pass the Schweppes ginger ale they would say ginger kale. <laughs> the name police. They were name police. Which of course, in now our society is infatuated with kale salad so I always think about that. <laughs> in the beginning of the Parsha Tomorrow morning we're going to read Va'ira. Tomorrow morning's reading will give us a chance to really look at two God names. And of course, when we look at God names and we think about God names, we of course are already in the parsha. we're in the topic of, of blasphemy, of Chilul Hashem, the emptying or the desecration of God's name. Yeah? From the beginning of the narrative, Moshe is obsessed with the name of God. We're even told, an early Midrash tells us, an early rabbinic lore, folklore says, that when Moses, as the young Egyptian prince, right, he's the hidden Jewish slave, kum prince of Egypt, he comes out to his brothers and he sees an Egyptian hitting uh, an Israelite. And according to an early Midrash, when Moses strikes him, he doesn't strike him with his hand, but strikes him with the Shema Mifurash, with the, the divine name. Moses has a name obsession. In some way, he's been given the secret called Shema Mifurash, the divine, mysterious name. And then later, as Moses is elected to become the leader of the people, we know the scene. He shows up, right? He shows up in front of the Sneh, in front of the burning bush, and he says to God, when I come to the people and I say to them, I'm come here to save you, to redeem you, what will they ask me? They'll say, what is your name? And God says, hey, eh, yeah. I will be whom I will be. Moses is infatuated with names. What is your name, God? I want to know the name. And then before this week's reading, tomorrow morning, the end of last week's reading, Moses in this imperiled mission where God has given Moses the empowerment to go to Pharaoh and to speak to Pharaoh, Moses comes back dejected, despairing. I tried my best and it didn't work out. And not only that, I went to Pharaoh, and it got worse. And then this line, for those who read the text carefully, "Umeaz Bati el-paro." And from the moment I came to Pharaoh, Lidaber Bishmecha, to speak in your name, I've come to Pharaoh to speak, not just to speak, but to speak in your name." That astonishing backdrop is the prelude to tomorrow morning's moment, Va'era. And God spoke to Moses saying, I am Adonai, I am Yudhe Vavhei. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Yudhe as my name Adonai, I was not known to them. Ani Adonai, I am These two divine names were introduced to, as God says to Moses, there's a difference between the way I revealed myself to your ancestors and the way I'm revealing myself to you today. El Shaddai, that name, El Shaddai, the God of Shaddai, Mysterious name. My favorite meaning of that name is El Shaddai is the God shamar Dai, says the rabbis. The God who said enough. El Shaddai is the God of sufficiency. The God of enoughness. The God most likely of the breast. Shaddain. The ancient Canaanite feminine gods. Feminine gods the God of sustenance. The God of nurturance. The God of, of the child who is being Fed and met and seen, I showed myself. God says to Abraham, to Moses, I showed myself to A- to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God of enough. That's where they were. I made promises, but they didn't come and say, "God, did you keep your promise?" El Shaddai, I was the God, as Rashi says, that has enough divinity for each creature in the world. I have enough God to go around. And God says, but that won't be enough. Right? Apparently, the name of God that is God enough is not enough to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Apparently, El Shaddai, in some way, as the text will tell us tomorrow morning, I appear to them as the God of sufficiency the God of enough the God of, nus, of sustenance and nurturance but now I'm revealing myself to you as yud Vavhe. why do we need a new God revelation? why do I need to speak to the Israelite slaves in a different name than the name El Shaddai? so two answers the first answer may be Probably most likely is, you don't come to a slave people and say to them, there's enough. You don't come to a slave people and say, isn't it good? Look at all of your abundance. You have so many bricks. Life is good. I am the God of enoughness and says the Israelites, oh, really? Thank you so much. Revelations don't begin with enoughness. They begin with the discord between what is and what could be. And the name yud Vavhe, the name of God that is I will become, I, I was, I am, and I will become, is the God of even if there's enough, there's still more. There's a society that needs to change. Transformation is possible. You slaves, don't be slaves to your yesterdays, as Shlomo Karbach would say. Be dreamers who trust in your tomorrows. I showed up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they weren't slaves as the God of enoughness. But to these slaves, Moses, you show up as infinite potential. You remind them that even though it's been 210 years, it's possible to change. The second answer is, and this is the one that I want to invite us into now, is that the name yud heh not just represents infinite potential, but it also represents intimacy. After all, the name itself can't be spoken not only because we don't know how to say it, but because there is no way to say it. God's unpronounceable name, his ineffable name is breath itself. Moses, go tell the Jewish people, the Israelites, I'm breathing with you. Go tell them that their pain is my pain. Go tell them, says Moshe, says God to Moshe, that I'm not a God who doesn't care. I am a God who cries. Heschel's poem that we read before. Millions of eyes choke on one teardrop. And later on, Rabbi Heschel writes, God's tears wet the cheeks of outcast ones and shamed. I want to wipe your tears, God. How amazingly different that message is than the message that I heard, unfortunately, this week when reading the New York Times in the incredible moment of power, of spiritual audacity that Charlie Hebdo was willing to publish its next, its next edition. Over six million copies come out, and the cartoon of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the cartoon that depicts the prophet crying, and above his head, all is forgiven. And as I was reading all of the different Muslim scholars, and I admit the cultural differences... Make it impossible for me to pass judgment on what is heresy or blasphemy for another tradition. I don't know, but one line struck me so deeply that I thought that I can speak about what we say. He said the depiction of the prophet is blasphemous, and even though we don't know the exact source in the hadith or in the Quran, this we know: to to depict the prophet crying is criminal. I literally had to read that 10 times. And I haven't checked with any of my Muslim friends. I don't know. And this scholar could be way off. But an image of a holy man crying in our tradition, that's what it is to be a holy man, a holy woman, to feel the pain of the world coursing through your veins, to be moved. Our God is not the Aristotelian God who is the prime mover. Our God is the Jewish God, Lebedeech, alive, the God who cries, the God who sheds a tear for every trans boy and girl or transie in the world who sits in their home wondering if anybody will see me. Is it safe to go to school? God cries. God cries for men and women around this country and around the world who who choose a lover and can't have, can't have the legal capacity to make that, to give it strength. God cries when black children and black men and women are seen for the color of their skin. God continues to cry. God's heart is broken. That isn't blasphemy. That's holy. A crying God. Martin Luther King said that when I speak of love, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of the force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is the most durable power in the world. This creative force so beautifully exemplified in the life of our, of our savior Jesus is the most potent instrument available in mankind's, in humanity's quest for peace and security. Love is that image of a God that is moved by human loss. A different Martin, maybe not Martin Luther King, but Martin Buber wrote, (laughs) describing an experience he once had, he said that in 1914, he was asked by someone, do you believe in God? He assured the questioner that he did. But after he began to walk home, he really began to consider whether he had spoken truly. And then in a moment of clarity, it came to him. And he said this. If to believe in God means to be able to talk about God in the third person, then I do not believe in God. But if to believe in her means to be able to speak directly to her, Then I do believe in God. He would later write, God is the ultimate you that by its nature cannot become an it. When we come to liberate the slave mentality, when we move to speak the promise of a freedom that we yearn to see, we need new God names, new metaphors, new language, and new divine names are called for. So God gives Moshe the name of breath itself to the ones who are short of breath. God says, I will breathe you. I will breathe you. I know your pain, I feel it. And I promise that I will be with you. I promise to stay connected to your suffering. I will not be removed in the realm of ideas and analysis. I want to cry with you. Don't be afraid. And please, God says, don't be enslaved to your despair. So I want to ask all of you here tonight. If Moshe Rabbeinu, if Moses, our teacher, were here, and he is. And if that other January baby born four days before Martin Luther King, Rabbi Heschel, if he were here, and he is. And if Martin Luther King Jr. were here, which he is, what would be the God name that we need to hear? That perhaps we've heard before, but we need to hear it for a a different way, in a unique vibration. And I'll tell you what I think it is. I think that Heschel titled this book, which my Rebbe Rabbi Shalomi Shalom, He translated Heschel's poems in 1971, 2 years before Rabbi Heschel died. He sent his translations to Rabbi Heschel who didn't like them. <laughs> but regardless of the translations, the name of the book, the name of the compendium of Heschel's poetry remains the same. Der Shem HaMeforash. Mensch. In Yiddish, in English, God's unpronounceable name, human being. To blaspheme the name of God is to to see another human being as anything but the holiness that they are. To say to my friend Robert on the plane, what's your name, is to ask and invite God. And the immediacy of I, you, you who stand before me, you, presence of God, you holy name, you ineffable expression of divine infinity, you. How ironic it was that those murderers shouted out the name of God as they desecrated names of God how amazing it is that we in this country can live in one of the most religious societies and those who would remove civil liberties and essential human rights to choose whom we love, to choose whom we live with, to show who we are in the world and say it in the name of a God whose name they are effacing as they speak. How ironic it is that in our homeland, in Israel, how you marry, or whom you marry, or whether you marry with the state is determined by a religion which is giving us this message tonight. The shame hameforash, the ineffable name of God, human being.